0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy Bowles. I'm Matt Shaw. We're keeping the beat here once a week for you. Matt, I've been kind of, had this feeling lately and I don't don't know, I thought maybe you've been having it too. Have you had gas lately? Constantly.
1: (laughs) Uncontrollable. Oh man.
0: It's it's terrible, isn't it? It just makes you have this feeling of longing like the pit of your stomach where you feel like you need something but you just can't get it.
1: (laughs) Waste hours thinking about it
0: oh man and it's like you spend so much time just staring at your phone just waiting
1: (laughs) and then suddenly you spend a bunch of money on it
0: oh gosh that the type of gas we're talking about is gear acquisition syndrome (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you guys have ever seen that any forums online or anything like that but a lot of the base forums that i go to like talk base and that sort of thing they uh they, have that, they use that acronym for uh, when you're looking for a new piece of gear, whether it's a new amp or a new guitar or a new bass, whatever it is, they call it GAS. <laughs> so gear acquisition syndrome, I feel like just as a musician in general, that's something everybody is going to constantly deal with, Sure. especially guitar players and bass players because there's so much gear out there for us.
1: Yeah, at least a trumpet player, after they get a really nice trumpet, they don't necessarily need another one.
0: Right. Now, unless you're Andy Benton, he's got, like, ten trumpets.
1: That's true. pocket
0: trumpet and everything.
1: So maybe I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> well, I guess that's... You might be... I don't know. I know that, like, uh, wind players, they like to change mouthpieces a lot.
1: Yeah, I guess if that's the toy you have, you might as well.
0: Right. And, like, I know some bass players and guitarists that go through pedal after pedal, and they're constantly buying and trading pedals. That can be fun. Yeah, I kind of want to be that way, but I'm, I'm not... I well, keep-
1: pedals are really expensive in the first place. So if you don't really have disposable cash, then it's not necessarily worth it. But it's still fun.
0: Right. Well, that's kind of how I feel, too. Because I want to buy, like, I really want to get a synth bass pedal. Yeah. I really want to get the one from Electro Harmonics. I really want to get the, the one from Moog. And I really want to get the one from Mark Bass. But I don't need three synth bass pedals. Well, that's- and I don't even really need one synth bass pedal. I just really want one. And the one from Moog is the one that I really want, but that's like a six hundred dollar pedal, if not more than that, it's insane.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. That's really hefty for a pedal.
0: But they're beautiful and they work amazing. Oh, if I can, I mean, does that board, have uh, a uh,
1: like the thing where you need to put a um, a custom pickup on your instrument?
0: No, um, oh, they oh. they don't. They make like a whole bunch of different pedals from Moog, but yeah. they like some of the ones that they've made are discontinued now. And those ones that are discontinued, people still really want, it seems like. And so you have to pay even more for them. Like there's a guy, I Follow Online, he's got this discontinued Moog pedal. He's got like five of them. Because every time he sees ones for sale, he buys it just in case his breaks. Mm. It's Mm. crazy. But all that to say, we're going to talk about gear this week. Shopping. (laughs) Shopping. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So... Matt, I know you, um, you made actually made like a little checklist for your students to go through as far as when they're going to buy their first guitar or bass. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so we're going to kind of talk about like, go through like a modified version of that. We'll talk a little bit about beginner level stuff, but Matt and I both have some real high quality pro level instruments. I kind of want to talk about too, just cause they're more fun and I love them. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to talk just beginner level stuff, but we'll, we'll go ahead and start out with that. Matt, I'll let you go ahead and talk first. What When you're looking for a guitar, what are you starting out with by trying to, to determine before you really even begin your journey?
1: Well, the first thing that you uh, need to figure out when you want to get a guitar is, do you want an acoustic or an electric? And then you have to go deeper than that. If you want an acoustic, there are classical guitars, which are um, very specific to classical music. You don't really need it for anything else, and it'll be very limited. Or you can go with more of a uh, a modern acoustic, a steel string uh, guitar, which is mostly what you'll see anyway, but there are different kinds of that from like a dreadnought and ones that are cut out, smaller, bigger, whatever, whatever blah, 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 blah. But if you want an acoustic, you're going and shopping for an acoustic, so whatever. Then, of course, there are electrics and As much as there's a lot of specialty instruments, I think that you can pretty much just break it down between solid bodies, semi hollows and hollow bodies. And then as you play different guitars, you'll uh, feel the nuances and differences within those three categories because there are differences like for solid bodies. You'll have some guitars that are more for metal um, shredding. And others that are more bluesy or uh, contemporary, uh, like the difference between a Les Paul and Ibanez's most crazy seven-string multi-scale thing, um,
0: or a Schecter yeah, or something. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if
1: Ibanez makes a multi-scale. I don't remember, but um, I don't
0: know if they do or not.
1: They might. They might. I know that they have extended stuff, but whatever. Anyway, if you're just starting out on guitar. First, you gotta kind of have to figure out what your hands can actually handle. If you're like, I don't know why you'd be listening to this, but if you're five years old, you probably don't want a classical guitar because you'll never be able to play anything. I've taught little kids that have classical guitars and it's a nightmare for them.
0: Yeah, because um, the guitars are way too big for those little things.
1: Yeah, the necks are very thick. Um, the string spacing is very wide, so they can't make a basic C chord. At all, they have to do the most basic forms of chords, and as uh, as much as that'll get them started on their um, journey with music, they won't be learning the complete shapes or anything like that. Whereas, if you give a little kid a a short scale electric, then that'll give them a lot of space to be able to um, get those shapes under their fingers. And you still, if you're a teacher, you'll still start with basic chords, but at least they'll have access to it as they learn, whereas a classical guitar, they can't reach it in the first place, so it doesn't matter if you teach them, they can't learn it. There are some acoustics that are kid size. A lot of my students have that. They're a little trickier to find. Sometimes you have to order them online. Um, my one student has a Yamaha child size guitar that is excellent. It feels good. It uh, It's well-built, but I've also seen kid-sized guitars that are firewood <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: um they are like anything trash. first
0: act oh yeah yeah, yeah.
1: first act yeah. doesn't it's not intended to give you a good instrument it's meant to be bought at walmart um to give to your niece or nephew for their birthday and they think you're awesome but really you just handed them trash
0: <laughs> right
1: and uh not not to say that really cheap beginner instruments are a bad start for kids i think that that's you uh you don't want to go and give a kid a multi thousand dollar instrument just because you want them to have the best or something because for one you don't know if they'll actually get into learning it and practice and you could just waste your money on something that they'll be over in a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. the kid could be irresponsible with it because they're too young to understand what thousands of dollars means and they'll snap that expensive Les Paul that you bought them to look cool right in half because they dropped it in a parking lot. There are hundreds of horror stories of kids using expensive instruments and not understanding um, how much they're worth. And it's just easier to let a kid use a crappy cheap instrument at first, and then once they show commitment and appreciation, and you know that they're serious about actually learning it, then you can give them a, a little more legitimate instruments. Now, I don't I wouldn't want a kid to be playing on a first act or one of those dollar store brand um, guitars like a, uh, an Epiphone or a Squire. It's totally fine. Sometimes I think uh, like my company at our uh, summer camps, we build guitars with the kids, those that come and they get to paint and put together their own uh, Strat style guitar. So they have a serious appreciation for that instrument that they built and a lot of pride in it. And I think that's a great way to start. It might not be like some top-notch quality stuff, but it sounds pretty good and it's really fun for them. And it'll feel better than those crappy first acts and such. So that's another option for some kids that might have that Lego mindset that they, they like to put things together. Right. Anyway. So. Well then
0: it's more special too because it's not just uh something you've got out of a box it's actually something you put effort into it. Mhm.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a, a a great parent and kid project kind of a thing to do or uh or if it's like my company where it's a camp thing like that, a big event, uh sort of thing, then that creates a real personal connection to the instrument. So you kind of want the same thing in whatever guitar you might buy for them as well. Um, that's why right. you don't, you don't want to get them something that is, it feels terrible, it looks terrible, it sounds terrible, and it makes it harder for them to play. You still want to give put something in their hands that will encourage them to play because kids mm-hmm. are, well, they're lazy, honestly. They want to play Fortnite. Yeah. They don't want to sit down and practice scales. They don't want to learn the songs that they want to learn. They, they don't want to do that. It takes a really driven kid to actually practice. Um, and I have right. enough students now to just know that even the kids that are good at it, they don't really practice. And that's not something I can control. It's something that the parents can't really control. That's just how, how a kid's personality works. Some of them do. Mm-hmm. Most of them don't. And a lot of the time that when they right. sit down with me, that's the time for, that's the music time and you have to make the most out of it. So as a result, the best way to encourage practice is to put something into their hands that they're proud of and that they love and that feels good to them. And a lot of the time there are cheap options for a kid or a teenager is going to have more specific tastes, but they're going to be also a little more lenient in you know giving you options of what they want <laughs> because mm-hmm. kids kids are really indecisive so they might think oh that one's cool because it's red well it's also three thousand dollars and way too big for them right. or something whereas a teenager might actually say Oh I want this because I've been listening to a lot of Queen and I want to sound like Brian May so I want his the Brian May guitar. Okay. Well, at least you were specific and uh, have decent taste in what you're going for, I guess. Mm -hmm. They put in a little bit of effort beyond just, I want a guitar, let's go buy a Les Paul. That's not the direction that you want to go. Um, Yeah. You never want to default to a classic guitar. As much as uh, Les Pauls are wonderful. I love Les Pauls. I don't own one because I'm not going to pay that much money. For one um, when I have other instruments that are better or that I paid less for. And a lot of the time, those uh, those classic guitars, you're paying a ton of money for the uh, the logo. You're putting right. money into holding a Gibson in your hand or a, uh, a Fender, uh, like an American made uh, or a pro level Strat, because um, they definitely have more um, cheap options. But if you get a legitimate Strat, then you're going to pay a lot of money for it. And you're usually paying, in that case, you're paying for that name for having that in your hand as opposed to some off-brands that really there's no reason you shouldn't try. And of course, a lot of the name brands, they uh, like Ibanez is fairly cost-effective. I'm not a huge fan of most of Ibanez that I picked up for both uh, guitar and bass, but it's, it's another option. There's Schecter's. There's... I don't like Deans at all. I've never picked up a Dean I like, but everyone has their own taste. So, yeah, uh, well, a lot of it
0: depends on the sound that you like and that sort of thing, too. Like, I know when I was looking at basses, the thing about basses is that pretty much everything you can find right now has active uh, electronics in there. And when you have active electronics, you can get almost any sound you want out of the instrument. Mm hmm. So you can get that really warm P bass sort of sound or you can get that real edgy jazz bass sort of sound all with a P bass nowadays because of the way it's built. Or if you get a jazz bass, you can just roll up the, you know, roll on the neck pickup and leave the bridge pickup off and now you have a really warm sound too. Mm -hmm. So with basses, I think it's, there's, I don't know, like there is a lot of variation in them, but the biggest thing in my opinion is finding something that Fits your budget and feels nice to your hands, yeah. Yeah, so like my first base that I ever bought was a hundred dollar base that was an eat from from eBay, and uh, <laughs> it literally just said K on the top, like the letter K said K tone. I, I have no idea what that is, I've never been able to find another one, <laughs> and uh, it was semi hollow, so it was, wow. it was mostly solid with a cutout. And so the semi hollow gets like a kind of a warmer sound for bass. I feel like for the most part, though, semi hollow basses end up sounding sounding thin. Hmm. Uh, just personally, I don't know, like that Hofner sound. I'm not a huge fan of that for most situations. It just sounds a little thin to me. But that that semi hollow bass. Turned out it had a Lincoln log for a pickup or for a bridge. Literally, like it was a literal Lincoln log. Somebody had cut into a shape and screwed it onto it. so no wonder the thing couldn't play in tune but it was really pretty and uh it as long as i was in the first five frets it sounded pretty nice so i sold that and i bought a schecter a five-string schecter because i wanted a five-string bass and i really liked the schecter because it was it was active so i could get all sorts of different sounds out of it i thought as i played more my taste changed, and i realized that it was actually a very limited sound i didn't really like it You know, I actually never did sell that bass either. I never actually really got rid of it either. I don't have it anymore, but I let a friend borrow it and just never asked for it back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've done that before.
0: Yeah, like I saw him post a picture the other day of him playing at church, and he posted a little video of him playing, and he's playing my bass. I'm like, oh, hey, at least somebody's still using it, because if I had it, it would just be sitting there in a case somewhere not being touched. So yeah. I had that for a while, and then I bought a Spectre, um, not to be confused with the Schechter. People used to mix those up all the time. So I bought that one because I wanted a four-string bass. That's the, purely the reason why, and I felt like I was getting a good deal on it, which I was. But that Spectre is what I did the majority of my playing on. And so when I was first buying my in- instruments, I didn't know what I wanted. I still sometimes am not entirely sure what I want. Sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I would like to try this. Like I want to buy a short-scale bass just for the sake of having a short-scale bass. Mm-hmm. I think I would like it because it's not as heavy. But anyways, so I didn't really know what I wanted. So those first few instruments I bought really shaped what I like. All three of those were very close string spacing compared to what I play now. And mm-hmm. so because of that, when I first bought a bass that wasn't close string spacing, it really threw me off. Mm-hmm. I think whatever it is that you, that you buy in the beginning, it's just in, the most important thing is to make sure that you like the way that it feels and the way that it looks. Because if you don't like that, you'll never play it whether it's a guitar or a bass and just to make sure it fits your budget. And I mean, don't be afraid to buy something used either. Like, oh yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I've, most of mine are, uh, well, most of mine were used now. Yeah. That's not so true, but <laughs> it used I've to be. I've only
0: gotten, right. Well, I've only gotten two bases that were new. I got the Schechter new and I beat that thing to a pulp. Oh my gosh. I'm like the back compartment that covers where the battery is for the active pickup. Mm-hmm. I lost that. I don't know where the cover was. Um, I stripped the finish off of the bottom of it from setting it down and leaning up up against stuff. I put a few dings in the neck. Uh, It's got (laughs) buckle rash all over the back where the finish is just worn completely off. It looks okay from the front, but on the back and the bottom of it, man, I destroyed that thing. It's a terrible thing. Worn out
1: instruments are pretty cool, in my opinion.
0: In a way, yeah. This one, because it's like that cherry red finish, like that, I think they call it like black cherry. So it's a dark red that fades into a black outside.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I mean, it's, it's pretty, but it, to me, it just, after the finish kind of got taken off a little bit, uh, it kind of lost its appeal.
1: Mm. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. It just wasn't as nice to me, but those instruments were just, like I said, they really shaped the way that I looked at things. And so now when I buy instruments, my tastes are completely shaped by that original thing. And so I think it's going to be like that for pretty much everybody. What you buy at first is just going to determine what you're going to buy in the future.
1: Yeah. So your, your fingers will get muscle memory. And I feel like right. a lot of the time our first instruments or what we've played on the most, that'll really lead into what will feel comfortable for you. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that as you go along, you might find some Holy Grail instruments that you pick up and you're just like oh my gosh, this fits my hand exactly. And I don't i don't know if that's because, oh, this is a exact match to uh, the scale of what your hands are used to, but a higher quality, or maybe there is some uh, bit of magic in the measurements where there are things that are just ideal for your fingers and your hands and uh, the shape of your technique and all of that put together. There's so many little things there that people smarter than me could figure out. But I would just say that the way that I tend to shop is to just go into a store and just play. I don't plug in and play. I'm not one of those uh, jerks that'll plug in and crank up an amp and put distortion on and just play in a store and and annoy everybody. I literally will just sit down and play a solid body instrument. Not even plugged in, and just play how it feels, and um, experiment with different fields. Start out that way. Yeah, yeah. There's no. If you're actually thinking of buying an instrument, of course you want to plug it in. But just to feel out your tastes, I think it's important to go to multiple stores like Guitar Centers, Sam Ashes, any local stores, anything like that, and just play a bunch of different guitars even of the same brand. Don't just pick like, okay, I'll pick that Epiphone and that Fender and that uh Ivanes and try those out. And then maybe that Gresh over there and oh dang that's a D'Angelico. No. Uh try different models of uh of that brand and uh anything that catches your eye I think is important. Like you want your instrument to look nice to you. <laughs> Right. You don't, yeah. you, you don't want to have something that you think is ugly or boring or anything like that. If you just really like the traditional look, like just a straight up cherry red Les Paul, then hey, good for you because you have tons of options as far as that's concerned. Right. On the same note, like then if you're just looking for a red Les Paul, you better be sure that that's actually what feels good to you. So that's why you don't want to go into a store... Convinced you're buying one guitar, never try out anything else and just think that that's what guitars feel like, because that's wrong. Right. You will pick up one Les Paul and try it, and then you'll pick up the one right next to it that looks exactly the same, and it'll feel different. Right, As- that's true. Especially if it's a brand that is uh, hand-built guitars, because then every single right. stinking instrument is Truly different. It might come from the same design and the model number and all that crap, but that instrument will still have little touches that are different than the one right next to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like those uh, instruments we built at the summer camp uh, that I was talking about earlier. Those were a couple hundred dollar kits, probably, I think off of Amazon or whatever. Every single one of those in the room, I played all of them and they all felt different. Every single one.
0: Right. Um, that's true.
1: Not any of them felt the same. They all felt pretty doggone good considering the price. But even at that level of guitar, they all felt incredibly different. And you might think, oh, well, that's a bad thing. But if I get a dud, well, that's why you want to be careful shopping online. I, I would say never, ever, ever go and buy a name brand instrument online just because there are duds.
0: Yeah, the the good thing though, if you buy name name brand stuff, is a lot of times they can't they have good customer service. Where if you do get something that's that's really just for some reason not good, a lot of them are willing to work with you and you know that's swap true. it out. Yeah,
1: especially if it's new. It then, just kind of depends. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's like used off a of reverb, then you're kind of screwed. So I wouldn't go shopping for a strat on reverb um, unless you're looking for some custom thing. Then then that then go go ahead have at it get a custom strat that's fun but if you want one of those name brand things then there are tons of stores for you to walk into and sit down and feel them out i think that it's really important that you make sure that you're comfortable like don't Mm -hmm. if you're straining yourself to play anything on the instrument then that's not the instrument for you. I promise that you can find a guitar that is going to feel comfortable in your hands. Now, if you literally haven't played guitar before, then everything's going to be a strain. But if you've been playing for a year or two, you you, you have enough to be able to figure out what feels good. So we're not talking the person that's buying their very first guitar at this point. Now we're talking someone that's has a little bit of playing under their belt and and wants to upgrade really, because that's the point where your your fingers have that muscle memory um you have a little bit more of a taste of what you like to play, what you're interested in right. learning, so you have an idea of what sound you're going for, and that can help you decide a little bit. I tend to want my instruments to be very diverse; I never want to buy a one trick pony instrument but i can understand when there are people out there that they want to get that brian may sound that's what they Mm -hmm. want so they want to go buy the setup it i'll I'll tell you now if you want to sound like queen you're going to be shoveling out a ton of money to do so (laughs) but right uh, because i've looked into that before of what can i do with my setup that'll get me there oh i can't okay never mind doesn't matter (laughs) Um, right that's a very difficult sound to replicate perfectly, mind you. So if you're being grumpy yeah. right now of, oh, I can make that sound. No, you can't. I know that you can't unless you shoved out, shoveled out a ton of money to get there because that man plays something that was made from a hearth. Yeah. Um, he doesn't actually play that guitar anymore, but that that's what has that sound from the old records. But
2: anyway. Right.
1: Um. So if you want a specific sound. Okay then you might know exactly what what you want to go for, and you pick up that instrument. Don't buy it if it feels bad, because you will not get anywhere in your playing if you buy an instrument that feels like crap to you, because you'll play it for that one thing that you wanted, and then you'll never touch it again for anything else. Mm -hmm. Shame aim on you and your stupid wallet. (laughs) But if it feels fantastic, then most instruments can pull out more sounds like you said, like especially electronic instruments, they really can um, work around their own system to access a bunch of different sounds. There's not that many guitars that if you plug it in, it only has that one sound. If you plug in like a Rickenbacker, then Rickenbacker, whatever, that is a specific sound. That's pretty hard to not sound like itself. It has a weird bell chimey sound and all that. And um, that's what they're meant for. So if you like it, good on you. But um, that's a little bit difficult to get around. Um, As for hundreds of Ibanezes, those can get a ton of different sounds. I don't think that you'd necessarily want to bring an Ibanez into a big band gig. But not saying that you can't do it.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you could pull the Ibanez artcore in. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, like, a uh, you know, an Ibanez Shredder. Just, just a regular, like an, an RG right, Series gotcha. one. And if you bring that in, then you might get some weird looks. But at least you'll be able to make it through without it sounding... Uh, it'll sound inappropriate. But it'll be able to make a clean sound for you. Because, obviously, any guitar can sound uh, clean. So, another thing you want is... You mentioned it. like You want a, an instrument that the weight
0: fits you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because,
1: I mean, like you know from your experience, like a very heavy instrument is bad for your back. So if it feels really heavy, then you might not really want it for you. There's, I'm not saying heavy instruments are bad or anything, but if it feels too heavy to you, then that's another deterrent for you to want to pick up and play it. Because it's like, okay, I'm going to practice guitar and get a workout and hurt my back yay (laughs) you don't want to put yourself in that position i don't really have a problem with that myself but i can understand that some people would you might want a lighter instrument i tend to not like fenders um strats specifically because they feel way too light i feel like i'm going to snap them in half like a toothpick if i um so much as strum a little too hard. but a less ball with a little bit more heft to it, I feel completely comfortable playing it however I want um I feel like you could do that that uh the the strap trick that rock guys do where you swing it around your your body and catch it again or whatever, and it's going to be solid um so I don't like really light instruments; other people might um. I don't really like super heavy instruments necessarily. Something does feel kind of cool about a bass that is really, really heavy, but I I wouldn't really want one.
0: Well, the thing about bass is like for me, I've had a history of back problems um, and I honestly think it's because of the weight of my instruments. Like I love the sound of the Spectre that I had bought years ago, but it's not a lightweight bass. It's very heavy. And... Then I started playing upright bass and not having to have it on my shoulders. And once I started doing that, when I picked up my electric bass, it would hurt my back. And so I ended up actually pinching a nerve. I lost feeling in my hands right before my senior recital. And then this past year, I've also had some more back problems where I almost couldn't get out of bed a couple of times. My wife had to help me sit up because I couldn't even sit up because my back pain was so intense. So what I did is I started playing lighter weight basses because then I didn't have that problem as much. So. I did two things that helped a lot. I bought a strap from Groove Gear. Not a sponsor. Um, (laughs) But willing. (laughs) Yeah, I would love it if they wanted to sponsor us. Um, They have a strap (laughs) called the Duo Strap. And so what that does is that goes over both shoulders and attaches to the bass on two different points. There's a bass player, John um, Petitucci. Is that John Petitucci Mm -hmm. that uses it? I think it's him because he uses... um, really big, heavy bases because they, he, he plays like those six strings that are just, um, they're insane. Yeah. So he's got one of those, they spread the weight over both shoulders. And so that helps me with the pinched nerve of my shoulder issue. Didn't really help my lower back pain. So I started playing my, um, my warrior bass, which is a, um, a custom shop sort of thing. I didn't have it custom made for me, but I got it. Second hand from somebody who had it made, mm-hmm. and it makes a world of a difference because that base weighs seven and a half pounds instead of my other bases, like I have um the Marcus Miller signature sire bass, which I love it, oh man, it plays like a dream and it sounds incredible, but it weighs it, it's got to weigh at least ten pounds mm-hmm. so it's after even after just like a regular day of church services, my church has three services. Even after that, I am having a hard time walking out of the building when I, wear, when I play the sire bass versus when I pay, play the warrior. Hmm. With the warrior, I don't have any back pain because of it. So it is something to consider. Now, most of my playing is done sitting down uh, at my house just practicing. So yeah. it doesn't make as much of a difference. And if you're in the recording scene, you're not going to have to stand while you play. So mm-hmm. it's not as big of a deal. But it is something to consider, especially if you've got a history of back pain. You don't want to have something that's gonna be so heavy that you, you're gonna hurt yourself. Right. It's not worth it because if you hurt yourself, you'll never be able to play again. I mean, it, it's I thought I was gonna to have to quit playing earlier this year because my back was hurting so badly. I mean, I could I could hardly walk. Mm. So it's it is definitely something to consider. Um, but the, there's a trade-off. So when you do the lighter weight basses, you lose that big bottom end sound. It's mm-hmm. just gonna happen. Same thing with the guitars the what happens is is to get that bigger bottom end you need a denser wood so it resonates differently the denser wood sounds huge like the alder body bases they sound amazingly huge but the trade off is that they're heavy so it's kind of you know what what is the lesser of two evils for you not having the big bottom end or throwing your back out right now like my warrior I've learned how to get that big bottom end sound out of that bass because it's it's an, um, it's an mahogany, it's got Bartolini pickups and preamps in there, and I've learned how to use, to my advantage, what is on board of the instrument to get that big sound. If you play with your right hand closer to the neck, you get a warmer, fuller, bassier sound than mm-hmm. if you play on the bridge pickup. So I've learned how to use some of those little tricks in my playing to compensate for that. And here's the other thing too. I don't want I don't want our listeners to think that it's all about what gear you have because that's the farthest thing from the truth. You that's can true. make a very low dollar, not expensive instrument that doesn't have a ton of features sound like a very high end instrument with the way that you play. A good example of this is like when I when I saw Victor Wooten play. He sets up and he plays and it's definitely Victor Wooten sound right there, you know, it's amazing. Well, Right before the concert started, he had a guy come out and tune the bass. Same exact bass, same exact settings. Did not sound anything like Victor Wooten. You know, because it's in his hands. How he attacks the strings, the way he hits it, changes the sound completely. After the gig, he did the same thing. He let people play it. And it didn't sound like Victor Wooten anymore. Even though it's the same bass, nothing has been changed on the settings. It just doesn't sound like him because it's about your technique, how you play. So... You can make a crappy instrument sound like a cra- like a great instrument. Yes. So, but that being said, one thing that you do want to make sure you do is have it set up professionally. Because mm-hmm. if you or have learn a,
1: to set it up
0: right, or learn to set it up yourself, right? I I normally do my setups myself. Me too. I it I just like it. so I can save the money. It just takes me longer than if I brought it to somebody. Sure. And it takes me a lot of tweaking. So once I finally got like my warrior, Matt can attest to this. When I first got it, it didn't sound good the way I tried to play it. <laughs> like oh, it I tried was set
1: to, up terribly for you.
0: Yeah, it wasn't set up right for me. It wasn't set up right for anybody. I don't. True. No wonder the person who had it before me sold it. It was set up so terribly <laughs> they probably hated it. And they sold it to a Sam to um not Sam Ash, I think Reverb. it might have been Sam Ash. I don't remember. I bought it off Reverb. Um, after I had played the same model out of Sam Ash. so I'm I'm still not convinced it's not the exact same base. It, it might be the exact same base because it's a custom shop thing and it looks exactly the same.
1: Oh, I don't remember. I remember when you played that one though, and that's like when you discovered Warrior for real.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was like, whoa! I mean, you you were remember there the for sound like that thing minutes. made. Minutes. Yep. Yeah, just playing that one base. But if it, when it wasn't set up right, I was actually talking to my wife about selling the Warrior because mm. it was set up so terribly, and I couldn't dial it in. Well, I finally figured out what I was doing wrong, and I fixed it. So now it's set up like a dream, and it's an amazing instrument again. So that's something to consider because, like, my, my Spectre too. I got that thing for 350 bucks. It um, really was not that great of a bass. It was a babinga top, so it was heavy, but I set that, I had that thing set up perfectly. Um, Matt, I don't know, did you ever play that bass? hmm
1: Yeah, it felt fantastic. It I It really did. The strings
0: did. yeah, the strings were basically on the fingerboard, but no buzz across the whole neck. Yeah I, um, it, it was amazing. it was a dream to play besides the heaviness of it. but so that made that $350 bass feel like a much more expensive instrument. So it's something you really got to consider on like guitar too. My brother has a guitar that it's not a good guitar, but it's not a terrible guitar either, but it is set up like a first act. So he doesn't ever want to play it because it is set up so badly. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, that's something to consider too. have a luthier look at it. Cause it'll make a big difference.
1: Yeah. You really just take it to if, guitar center. Yeah. If you don't know um, what to do with that, um, we can we can do an episode where we talk about different stuff that you can do easily in your home. Now, of course, if you have an instrument that needs like the nut sanded down or some frets, uh, fret work done, that's stuff that is so specifically precise that I would take it somewhere. I would never do that myself because I'm not that handy. But making actual adjustments where it's just a screw or an Allen wrench or something, I would be really dumb to pay somebody to do that for me. Right. So anything that has to do with the action or whatever, I'll sit there and work on that for hours and love every moment of it. And there's no difficulty there and there's no risk of hurting the instrument at all or anything like that. But if it actually got to the woodworking side of things of setting up, that's a different beast that I will never touch, especially on my instruments. I would never want to accidentally drop it onto a saw and then watch my guitar get solid in half because I am pretty terrible when it comes to all that handy stuff. (laughs) Too clumsy for it. Yeah. I think one thing that people tend to uh, not really think about when they shop for... An instrument is a like you said. A lot of the time, you play sitting down when you're at home practicing. But performance-wise, you probably stand a lot. For me, I Mm -hmm. almost exclusively sit down. There are some instances where I would play standing up, but that is so incredibly rare that as much as I would just stand up to see how an instrument feels while I'm standing, I don't really need to because I almost always have a stool. I usually play the uh, the old Joe Pass style of just hugging my guitar and rocking back and forth to the music or whatever. There are gigs that we used to play together where I was standing up, but that would not be my my ideal. Now I would rather sit on no. the floor than stand. That's just the way that I play and how I've played so long now that when I'm standing, I it's like um I mean you're married if you have your wedding ring off you you kind of have that weird feeling of nakedness. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like part of me is missing.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if I'm standing and playing, I literally have that same naked feeling of, I should be sitting down. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I can't handle my own playing. It's too good. I got to sit down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's too funny. It depends on the the world of music that you're playing in too. So like you and me playing in the jazz world, it's acceptable to be sitting down and playing. It's very common for that actually. In the rock band sort of world, you're never going to see that because it's more, yep. well, I don't want to say it's more about showmanship, but there's a lot more showmanship involved in the playing than just the skill behind it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that varies. As a bass player, you're not going to sit down hardly ever. It's just True. you're stuck as a bass player having to stand. I did start bringing stools to gigs when I was having the back pain. And, you know, it's, it's people are fine with it especially if you're playing a restaurant gig or something like that, you're in the background. It's not like, I mean, if people are paying a hundred bucks a ticket to go to your show, you're probably going to be standing, you know, it's just the way it is. But for the most part, it's not a huge deal. If you're sitting down a lot, even playing upright bass, I would uh, sit on a stool and lean the bass back into me. It helped a Mm -hmm. lot with my technique. It helped me stay in tune better and it helped me play with the bow more accurately. So yeah, that it is something to consider, too, is how you're going to be playing. And if you're playing hollow body instruments like an in Eastman, you're probably going to be sitting down when you're playing it just because of the shape of it. Yeah. The shape is a little bit more awkward. Yeah. Even acoustic guitars, I mean, yeah, you can play those standing, but if you're not a bigger person and they're a really deep body, they're tough to play standing. Yeah, so, yeah
1: it's a little a little awkward. If you have a dreadnought, then you know exactly how that feels to be standing and holding something that large and play it. It it does feel weird, even for like, me. Like remember Gray's guitar? Oh yeah. That, remember how that, big
0: Gray's acoustic guitar that, was? That's a big honking
1: instrument. Oh <laughs> man. I I don't remember. That wasn't a Gibson, right? I think it was an uh, an Epiphone. Doggone I think it. it was. I don't remember what they're called. It it had the fancy pick guard, right? One of those. It did. It yeah, yeah. Fancy so you listener might know what those are called and, and have it in mind uh i don't think it shows very well in pictures but that instrument's bigger than you might expect it to be it looks cool but uh and sounded fine as uh, epiphones are they're they're finicky because sometimes they sound fantastic and sometimes they're just boring i i would i would buy any epiphone miles before i'd ever touch a squad right. that that's one of those things where I would put Epiphone in line with most vendors, in my opinion. But that that's just me. Everyone's different.
0: Yeah. I've actually warmed up to Squire a little bit. I used to absolutely hate them, but I've played a couple lately that were not terrible.
1: So the basses are, are decent? Because I, I can't touch the guitars. They make me sick.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, I didn't used to like <laughs> the basses, but I've kind of warmed up for them. That's good. But depending on your price range, if you're looking at that you know $600 price range i would recommend that you actually try to find a sire instead of a squire so
1: oh yeah 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 i i would really like to try that out because the prices that they have on those i know that that's part of the campaign is having an instrument that's affordable but feels professional level so i would yeah. i would love to get one of those into my hands just to see how they feel to me and um yeah. to be able to recommend it to other people just because um I haven't felt one yet so I don't know Right? I don't a jazz a jazz bass uh a Fender jazz bass um I have continually almost every time I walk into the Sam Ash that is uh in the area that I work I'll walk in there and I'll always pick up one of the Fender jazz basses just to see if that's the day that it finally feels comfortable because I've been playing bass a lot more recently so bases in general are feeling more comfortable to me and I'm kind of developing my palette for feel. I play a, mostly a, uh, a five string Warwick rock bass. So it's not expensive at all. I think I paid $400 for it really cheap, but it feels amazing and it sounds much better than it has any right to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had, and I have it set up just the way that I need it to, to just sound really good. It does. It's a little buzzy, so I need to work on it again, but whatever. Anyway, anytime that I pick up a Fender Jazz Bass, even the expensive ones, it doesn't feel right to me. And um, I think part of it is uh, music stores usually have dead strings and it's really tough to feel out an instrument right. that has it that's has strings that have probably been on there for like two, three years of people just playing away at it every single day. And they're on the verge of rusting out and snapping in half and disintegrating. So that's one thing when you're in stores that you have to try your absolute best. To just ignore the strings, they're usually the lowest gauge possible, and they're old. Um, They feel awful, and that can that can make an instrument that feels amazing feel terrible. So, Mm -hmm. I think that might be part of it, but also just the shape of a jazz bass doesn't really feel right to me. But I would love to be able to play uh, Marcus Miller style stuff. Yeah, which my Warwick can't really get that sound. Uh, Not really. It just isn't that no. right.
0: And even my Warrior, which is a jazz bass, it's 2J pickups, does not get the aggressive sound of a Sire or a Fender jazz because mm-hmm. of the body material. Because the Warrior is that mahogany, so it's a softer, sweeter sound that has more of a clear high end and a warmer mid-range instead of a scooped mid-range. The alder um, body basses naturally have a scooped out mid-range sound. Mm-hmm. So you get that big bottom end and that crisp top end but nothing in the middle. That scooped out sound is how you get that Marcus Miller type of tone. Yeah, the Fender Jazz, have you actually played like the um the American Elite Jazz basses or have you just played like the standard Deluxe or that sort of thing?
1: I can't say specifically. I I've Okay. I never touched the uh the Mexican made um ones because I know that those are the, the lower end um yeah
0: they're not as nice. The American models. made ones and the Japanese ones are better. Right,
1: right. So they're they're higher quality and I so I only ever give those uh a try. And I don't know. I, I think I think it's the neck. There's something about the neck that feels thick to me, which is ironic since the okay. Fender strat feels like a toothpick to me. But
0: well <laughs> um, the, the I don't know Fender jazz bass actually has a slimmer neck profile than the Fender P bass. Which is why I've never really liked the Fender P-Bass. But my Sire P-Bass, I love that because it's a P-Bass body, P-Bass pickups with a jazz bass neck. Hmm. So it has that thinner profile that I'm used to. So that's, yeah, that, it's awesome.
1: We're talking up the, Sire enough that we better get a call from Marcus.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> well, so I've played two Sire's before. I've played the one that I have, which is the PJ version, which is a precision pickup on the neck and a jazz pickup on the bridge. So, what I what I normally play that though, I it has an active passive switch. I almost exclusively play it in passive with only the P ba- the P pickup rolled up and nothing on the J pickup. Mm. Just cuz I really it sounds like a just your classic P-bass at that point and I really like that sound. And it's so much different than my other basses because everything else I have is a jazz bass. The other Sire I played was a also a Gen 1 uh, jazz bass version at, a, at Sam Ash. And that one blew me away, the sound that came out of that one. So they're both equally amazing. They're just very different from each other. So it kind of depends on what type of sound you're going for. But hmm. again, like the PJ bass, I recommend, especially for your starting out, a PJ bass. So with the precision pickup, which the precision pickup for those of you that don't know is like two little rectangles that are offset, but touch each other close to the neck. Hmm. Then a jazz pickup is just looks like a straight line. So if you see basically two straight lines at different spots of the bass, it's a jazz bass. If you see just the little offset pickups, it's a P bass. If you see an offset pickup and a straight line pickup farther down, then it's a PJ bass. The nice thing about the PJ is you can get both sounds, and so you can switch it back and forth easily. In my opinion, those Sire basses are a great value for the money. So you don't pay a ton of money for them, but you get a lot of good sounds out of them. They are not going to be my everyday, it's not going to be my everyday bass, just flat out, it won't be, as much as I would love it to be. The reason is because I'm used to playing 24 fret instruments. This Uh, is your traditional 21 frets. So it just feels a little bit off for me. Like the stuff that I played at my senior recital, Matt, like the classical stuff that I played and um, that solo-based tune that I played, I couldn't have played either of those on the sire because there aren't enough frets for it. Oh. So, yeah, that is something to consider too. Now, when you're first starting out, it do- who cares? It doesn't yeah, really matter. not too much. Yeah, you're not, your technique is not going to be allowing you to play up and all across the entire range of instrument anyways when you first start out. So it's not a big Especially deal. Especially on a bass. Yeah, exactly. Just for me, because I've been doing it for a while and everything, I like to have the 24 frets as an option. But honestly, like when I'm playing in church, I never use the 24th fret. The only time I use that is in my solo stuff or in a jazz band setting where sure, I'm playing a yeah. solo. Other than that, I'm only using the first 12, sometimes going up to the 14th or 15th fret. But never really more than that because it's not appropriate for the music.
1: Yeah, it's that's pretty rare to need that for your instrument. It's it's I mean, on a guitar in rock, you'll probably be up there a good bit for um soloing or some um, you know, riff lines at a start of a song or something like Don't Stop Believing. That's that's way up there. Um you need a instrument with enough frets to um play everything in that right. solo. But And it's very easy to play, but most of the time you'll end up being around the middle of, of the instrument. Um, when you start out, you'll be playing a lot of open chords. Yeah. But, um, for, at least for me, the majority of what I play is hovering from like fret three to fret 12 at the top. (laughs) I usually don't go too much higher than that anyway. Um, even when, um, if I'm soloing, maybe I'll head up beyond fret 12 but usually I play within that that little little box of tone it's just where I like it's not even a comfort thing it's just where I like the sound honestly mm-hmm. if it gets too high see, then it depends on I my bases, dialed in properly
0: right that's true depends on what bass I'm playing too like if you my all my strings right now are old and need to be changed so you can actually look and see you can look at a string and see where I play it normally so my mm-hmm. five string bass, I hardly ever play below the fifth fret because I don't need to. Uh that's the nice thing about the five string bass because you have that extra lower note, I can get that bottom E without having to play the open string. So I can play right in the middle of the instrument and do more string crossing instead of shifting up and down. So right. on that one, right around that five to seven, five to nine mark is where you see most of the oil marks. <laughs> The sire bass, I play a lot of stuff in the open position on that because it just sounds so funky, like mm. it sounds really good in that in that range. The warrior, I am all over the neck on that thing, mm. like up in the upper octaves, upper register of that bass i am I play up there all the time because that bass really sounds good up there, so it kind of varies based off the instrument, so Matt, I thought it'd be cool if we'd take a minute to tell the stories of how we got each. So tell the story of how you got your favorite of your guitars.
1: All right. Well, uh, I think my favorite guitar would um, probably be my um, my custom uh, Russian guitar. That's usually how I would refer to it, just because I don't like to butcher the maker's name, because I will always be grateful to him. But it's by a uh, a Russian luthier named Alexander Polyakov. I don't know how to speak Russian, so I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not. He he makes guitars, I would say, at a well, I don't know how a uh, luthier is supposed to be paced out, but I would say it's um fairly slow. So a guitar will appear on his social media every once in a blue moon. I would say every couple of months. I think he like just posted two, so I was like, Oh dang. <laughs> uh, he uh had a really cool telly and um some uh semi hollow, I think. Both of them looked beautiful and I wanted to buy one of them, but I I, I can't justify it. My wife would not be pleased with me. Um, hmm. uh, but anyway, so a, a few years ago, I was um, just clicking around reverb and um, I wanted a new instrument, but I wasn't really like I didn't have my heart set on buying anything specifically. Um, I had the uh, Warrior you were has feeling the gas. Yes, I was feeling the gas. I had it. Um <laughs> I, I was looking at, uh, Warrior has a, I wouldn't really say that it's a Strat, a Strat replica. I I think it's closer to a PRS. They're like, it's, it's like multi-layer. PRS has their version of the Strat. And I think Warrior has a version of that PRS. So it's like double in there. And I think it's like a, called a, a Texan or something like that. I don't know. But in any case, it, it looks pretty good. And I wanted something that was a little more, uh. Diverse for playing literally anything that's out there. I have a uh, an Eastman archtop that uh, is my primary instrument. I play it every single day. Um, all of my lessons, um, I have it with me. I uh, use it for church because I don't own an acoustic anymore, and uh, I can get an acoustic sound out of it. And um, and then I have my peerless hollow body, which is specifically made um, to be a jazz guitar. It's, uh, that's a the peer- thin
0: line one, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a thin line. It's a peerless renaissance. It's a gorgeous instrument. Uh, very well built. Uh, plays like a dream, but it's um, primarily focused on um, jazz. So even though it's a thin line, it does not have a tone block on the inside, which that's the difference between hollow and semi-hollow. Semi-hollows can mm. be um, chambered, or um, they're mostly hollow with a tone block on the inside. So Gibson ES-335s, they have a big tone block in the body. And then the rest of it is hollow. So the tone block will make it uh, so that you don't get a ton of feedback. Whereas there's, a, I think, Gibson 330. I, I might be wrong about the number. That doesn't have a tone block. So it uh, it resonates more and can get a lot more feedback so that's more geared towards clean sounds. So in um rock and blues, you'll see 335s and I wish I had one just because it would be fun, but um those can you can apply uh overdrive to without too much worry. Um they're they're pretty easily built for that style. So anyway, um as I was clicking around, I saw a woody guitar from a name I didn't recognize. I just saw AP guitars and then the most beautiful instrument that I'd ever seen, and um the price wasn't bad at all. I only paid um eighteen or nineteen hundred for it uh It came straight from uh from from Russia and uh the guy was really nice uh kept me up to date on it. I think it was two months um because of customs. It takes a while to get things like that, especially that size from russia right. and uh every guitar that he sends he packages it. Uh as if it's going to get shot by a tank, <laughs> so there's not only a ton of bubble wrap and foam and packing in the box, but he also builds like an actual like wooden box like a coffin for your guitar to ship it so there's no cardboard involved that thing could be dropped out of the plane and it would probably be safe um but anyway the uh the instrument itself um I think the name that he gave it was uh. Uh, AP guitars Mother of Pine. I think that was like the the model name for it, and I think he's done others of that series. So I don't think it's really a model name as much as a series where it's like Woody guitars. Okay. Um, right. And this guitar, what he was given the blueprint for the design by somebody, not to be built for that person or anything. It was just a design that he was given, um, and he built it, and it's a prototype, and he. Hasn't made another one. It's the only one in the world that, that he's ever made. And uh, it's shocking just because looking back over other guitars he's built, he's built uh, Gypsy guitars, he's built Arch Tops, and this guitar is one of the only ones that I've seen that's uh, even similar to it. It's kind of based off of a uh, a Gresh, uh, Gresh's, oh crap, um, I want to say Jet Streamer, and I know that's wrong. <laughs> But Gresh's a uh, solid body guitars are like a white penguin, things like that. It's right. um based off of that shape. It has a uh, a a Bigsby on it, and um uh has a similar um body shape to those, and um has the it has like a, the inlays are done in the Gresh style where it's like that that block with a bump on it. So it's not just a square block, it's has that uh that design, but everything has a woody natural tone, which is kind of what I wanted because I was really jealous of, um, like your warrior. No, just in general, like (laughs) bass players have just these wonderful luthier (laughs) options of these gorgeous natural looking designs. And I'm just like, why is everything on these stupid stores? Just another version of a Strat or another version of a Les Paul. And I'm like, these are so boring. I want something that's just for me and has this gorgeous woodworking and um, these multiple uh, blocks within it with some purple heart in there or whatever. And that's not really there. Or if it is, it's actually stupidly cheap because it's just some kid that put it together and it looks cool, but it's not like a well-built instrument or anything. right? Um, Or it's like $10,000 and I'm not putting that much money down on a guitar. Uh, (laughs) Mm. I don't have that money. But anyway, so this... That guitar, um, I saw it. I watched the video on it. I wasn't sure if it would really work for me, but I took a chance because uh, I realized that it was a prototype. It was the only one in the world, and I could afford it, and I wanted it. So I got it, and it showed up, and I, to this day, can't believe that I own it just because every time that I plug it in, and um, it can play uh, some tough, rough, and dirty metal, and it can play every jazz standard in the book that I need. Um, when I took it with me to down to uh, Virginia, and um, Spencer and I set it up perfectly together, I wanted him to be able to see it, and then we just sat down with it and, um, and adjusted everything and had a lot of fun with that. I could tell he didn't want me to take it with me when I left. Um, <laughs> he was very clear that it was one of the best instruments he's ever played, and it sounds incredible for jazz um which is stupid because it's a little uh it has a uh f hole in it so it is a semi hollow but it's uh just chambered out it's um right so it's mostly a solid body anyway but it's a semi um and it just sounds like your biggest jazz boxes or it can sound like your uh your shredders it's amazing and if you dial it in right you can get a gresh twang Uh, you can get a bluesy sound. You can get a jazz sound. It's the most diverse instrument that I own by far. It feels
0: amazing
1: as far as, because I, I, uh, I for one kind of like a, uh, a more satin finish on instruments, a much smoother woody feel, um, Mm -hmm. over gloss. I don't mind gloss. Like my Eastman has a gloss finish, but I just like the satin feel. Um, and, uh. I have another custom that is a one of a kind thing that's featured in some magazine from the guy that built it, but that is really like my um, my substitute for anything I would ever need Fender. Um I think that's what I used right. in the 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 style trial. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think I used that one. Um I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, cuz it it gets that uh that fourth position Fender uh strat Sound That I wanted because I wanted to be able to play more funky stuff, which my um my Russian indefinitely it can pull that off just fine. It was just nice to have something else. And the uh and that one is also a, a short scale. So it plays at lightning speeds compared to everything else that I play because I'm used to my Eastman feeling closer to an acoustic. So when I put a short scale in my hands, it's travels pretty doggone fast compared to what I'm used to. Um, right. so I think that's, that's the basic story of it. I'm, I think I bought it when, um, my, yeah, my wife and I were engaged cause my plan for it was, uh, not to play it for anything until the wedding and then, um, play something with you guys in the band. Uh, we decided not to do that because, um, and the way that it worked out with the reception, <laughs> I'm glad that I didn't have that plan. Uh, but
0: yeah, it was a little chaotic for that.
1: Yeah, it, it 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 was a um, pretty, pretty organizational mess, but it still had a good time. So uh, I wanted to <laughs> debut it at, at the wedding because I thought that would have been really cool. Um, but that didn't actually happen. Uh, and I'm just really glad that um, it was a nice experience just because as a musician, um, it's good to have the comfort that your um, your your partner in crime for life isn't going to just berate you for um, for getting an instrument, right, uh, she was really supportive of it. she didn't judge me at all for it. She didn't when I got the the uh, the next custom either. It wasn't even slightly cranky about it um she uh she's a wonderful wife to have for a musician. I mean she's a creative person too. She did the art for our logo and such, but it's just nice that uh we had that experience before we got married, where I felt comfortable knowing that I wouldn't be judged any time i whipped out my card for a new piece of equipment that i felt (laughs) that i needed Um, right yeah i would never (laughs) i would not buy online anymore i'm satisfied now (laughs) as much as i love clicking around reverb and looking at the stuff there it would take something that uh was such a steal for me to do that again just because uh as much as i really like having to prototype custom instruments that nobody else can ever have except me, it's just too risky. Like I I want something to be put into my hands first. I want to be able to see the details. I would love to get more custom instruments, but uh, I'd rather find it first, get it under my hands. I really want another Eastman archtop eventually, because um, mine is is a a mid range, and I want a higher end one for for um, for gigging in the future and recording uh, jazz stuff. But as much as I've never touched an Eastman that I don't like, I would just like to find the one that's perfect for me. Cause I don't need it
2: right now. Right. And I
1: just want to find that one that is the holy grail of Eastman's in my fingers that when I pick it up, I'm just like, I don't care how much it is. You're getting my money for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, I don't know. There's, there's one bass that's that available online right now that I really want. Which one? But I, it's, it's another Warrior. It's the Warrior Messenger. So it's not the J bass, it's a Music Man style bass with a humbucker instead of the jazz pickups.
1: Is it like that, uh, that black one with almost like the asphalt pick guard thing? I it know you looks like
0: that. Yeah, it looks like that one, except this okay. one here is a natural finish. So Ooh. it's a Swamp Ash body. It's an Aguiar um, pickup in there, Aguiar preamp and everything. And um, this one is only the second bass that he ever made, or only second of this body that he ever made, the Messenger style. I was about to say, how on earth are you going to afford that? (laughs) No, no. And this is the crazy thing about it. It weighs 6.6 pounds. I would never have back pain again if I had that bass. (laughs) And it has been for sale on Reverb now. Um, let's see. For three years, it's still Watch sitting a
1: there. Listener goes and buys it. Maybe they'll buy it for you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's not a bad price either. It's after shipping, it would be like twenty two hundred bucks. Yeah,
2: that's not. It's
0: stupid. yeah, it's beautiful. I really want it, but I can't buy that right now. I would love to, <laughs> but. And it's, I don't have a music man style bass, so it would be like a whole, yeah, it'd be a whole new sound. But if I am going to get anything new right now, I would get a new fretless bass. Mm. Um, Mine, I have an awesome fretless bass, but it has some electronics issues. And I know I could just get those fixed, but I also could just buy a new one. It's boring. um, Get it fixed. Just get a new one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do, but so... My favorite bass story is a fun one uh, because it stretches over like a two or three year span of how I ended up getting it. So as you all probably could guess, my warrior is my favorite bass. So Matt and I were, um, we were in Richmond for some reason. I think we were going to the airport. Um, we were uh, picking up
1: our singer for some reason.
0: That's what it was. We we're there to pick her up. And so we decided there was a Guitar Center and a Sam Ash right next door. So we were like, "Well, hey, let's go check it out." So we went to, to Guitar Center, and I was obviously disappointed because even though it was a huge Guitar Center, it's still Guitar Center, and they have as a bass player, Guitar Center um, disappoints me. Wasn't the that later.
1: the uh, the time that you were there and a a uh, a salesman was giving some kid really really bad advice, and you yeah. kind of interjected and gave them. <laughs> A much better option because the salesman was trying to milk them for more money, and you kind of helped them uh pick something yeah, they would have actually needed. Because then, didn't, didn't they try to yeah, sell them some like double stack Marshall amp or, <laughs> or something like that?
0: Yeah, they were buying a bass amp, and they, the guy was like, "Oh, you can't do anything less than uh, I think he said like seven hundred watts and a four by ten cab in order to be able to be loud enough to compete with the drummer." And as soon as the salesman walked away, I was like, "Dude." I have a 250 watt amp that I've played in churches that are like 1200 seats just out of my amp and was told to turn it down. You don't need that. Like you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I've done that before too. I talked to some, I, well, I actually, I didn't end up doing it. I walked away. I was going to tell somebody to leave guitar center and go to back, go over to Sam Ash and buy that sire bass that they had there. But I didn't do it because I wanted to go buy it myself. Uh, <laughs> I didn't end up buying it, though. So I feel kind of bad about that one. But whatever. Um, so, yeah, we're, I was a little disappointed at Guitar Center. So we walked over to Sam Ash. We didn't even move the car. We just walked up. It was, like, literally right next door to each other. So Which we walked really into weird. there. Yeah. So we start playing, and I got really excited because I saw a court bass on the wall. And, um, for those is of you that, you that don't know do anything, string? the six string. Yeah. That was um, a monster. Port bases. For those of you guys that don't know, they're really great for the price. Court and Stupid Sire are the good. two that I would do. Like Matt has the, um, the Court B4 FL. It's a, um, fretless bass, bump ash body. I think it's a Rosewood neck. I can't remember what the neck is.
1: Um, um it's just it such a warm,
0: Ebony. Is it ebony? Well, ebony would it's have a more aggressive sound, dog. yeah. But ebony has a really harsh sound on a fretless, hmm. it's got that traditional, like it might be raw sound.
1: I'm just not good at identifying wood, that's really what it is. I just know that it, it's dark, so it's, it's yeah,
0: <laughs> and it's it's very warm sounding, so it's an awesome bass. And now the new court basses actually have mark bass preamps in there. Um, I'm super excited about that. I really want one just to get know what a mark bass preamp sounds like in a bass. Because hmm. my mark bass amp just makes me like jump for joy every time I hear the sound of it. It's amazing. So yeah, the preamp my, my chord is oh. pretty
1: ridiculous. So that's a that's a huge recommendation. I think they're getting bigger, so I would snag one before. because that that's the thing is I got my uh my fretless from them and it feels like a multi thousand dollar instrument, at least to me. Um compared to what I've played. I have never found a fretless bass that feels as good as yeah. my court. And I paid 400 bucks uh, uh, right. for mine. And it was it was off of reverb, but it was new. It was like in mint condition. Mm-hmm. And what hadn't really had it, it wasn't really secondhand. I think it was just from some shop that was selling right. on reverb. And uh, I will play that thing until it just straight up dies because right. I don't need another fretless at all. It I know that it doesn't have the same bite as some others do, but if I dial it in, right, it gets enough bite for what I need. I'm not a I'm not a, a a recording bass player anyway, so Yeah. for for me, it is everything that I need and like I said, I haven't picked up a fretless that feels that good.
0: So Right. Well, the only thing the only downfall about your fretless that you have is if someone has big hands, that bass won't work for them. Um, That's true. It it feels small. It even feels slightly small for me and I've got small hands. Um, I love the way it feels though. That small small feel for me is perfect. Uh, It's very comfortable, but it might just be a guitar player's base
1: because for me, it works out perfectly fine. I don't have huge hands, even though I'm tall and all that, but it feels right for me, and I think that's probably the the reason. It's because, uh, just in general, I right. think smaller basses work easier for me just because they're closer to what I'm used to. Oh, of course. So it's easier for me to play. If I pick up a, a, a six-string bass, uh, it, it gives me anxiety.
0: <laughs> well, It
1: makes me feel tiny, and that's yeah. not a feeling that I usually feel.
0: But that court six-string bass that I played at Sam Ash that day didn't give me that feeling, though. I felt very comfortable on that. It was weird. The only thing is I didn't like the body shape.
1: Um, it was abnormally small or.
0: Yeah. And it had a very high cutaway, which is normally nice, but I couldn't sit down and play it because it was too high. It wouldn't sit down on my lap. Yeah, it was. And so, but every six string, right. Well, every six string bass is like that. Um, So yeah, so I was playing that and then I look and I see this base next to it that I've never heard of before. And it's got this beautiful quilted top on there and it's this nice like tobacco type brown, not quite as dark as that, but, and it's got a purple strip of wood running up the middle and I'm like, what is this? And I look at it and it said it was like $2,500 I think is what they were selling it for. Twenty-five or twenty two, something like that. And I was like,
1: it it was somewhere around there. I remember. Yeah.
0: I just I was like, I have to play this bass. So I took it down, I started playing it, and I remember I was like, I fell in love right then. My jaw dropped. I was like, What is this? Like this is the most amazing thing I've ever played. And I we I don't know how long we were sitting there, Matt. It probably was thirty minutes though. Me just sitting there playing that bass because I was so amazed by it.
1: There were tons of basses there. Like There was at minimum 50. So for a bass player to walk in there and then after pulling around with that cool looking court for a couple minutes and then picking that up, he was there for the rest of the time that um, we we were wasting time until our singer was ready to be picked up from whatever she was doing. I don't remember. But uh, the rest of the time we were in that store, I tried... So many, it was a massive Sam Ash. Sam Ashes usually aren't that big. Um, yeah, I, I went through a whole bunch of different guitars. Um, I started trying out amps, which usually I don't do in stores just because I don't really like um annoying people with with, uh, with playing out at all. But there were some amps there that looked really nice, uh, that were secondhand and stuff that I figured I might as well try. Besides, right. it would well, have just been me standing there while you were playing the Warrior forever, and you, you were you were plugged in and playing with no shame whatsoever, and it sounded really good, so I don't think anyone cared.
0: <laughs> well, and here's the other thing, too, about that. Do you remember what amp I was plugged into? Um,
1: I don't. It was a Mark I, Bass.
0: No, no. I couldn't find a high-quality amp. I wanted to plug it into a high-end amp because I wanted to know what it sounded like through an Aguiar or a Mark Bass or... Um, even like a Ampeg or something, I couldn't find anything. I plugged it into a Roland Cube, oh. and the Roland Cube, I like. I was like, it made me feel sick to my stomach that I couldn't walk away with that base that day. I was yeah, so sad. You were, to put you were it back sad on the wall. that we
1: were leaving there without you buying it, but that price was too. Hefty.
0: I didn't have that kind of money. So yeah. fast forward two years later, was it two or was it three? It was either two or three years. Yeah, I can't remember, but it was at least two years. And uh, it's my senior year. I'm getting ready for my senior recital and stuff. And I was feeling the gas. Like, I've wanted a new bass so badly. And I'm scrolling through, and I had some money saved up. And I'm looking through Reverb, and I saw that bass. And I'm not sure if it's the exact same one or not. It might. It's. It looks exactly the same, so it might be the exact same one. I can't tell because it is a custom shop sort of thing, but mm-hmm. he has like standard models that you can buy. So I don't know um, if it was just that standard model that somebody bought and then bought somebody else bought this same exact wood configuration, or if it's the same base. I'm I'm still not sure, um, but because I don't know who the seller was on Reverb either. I wonder if I can find that out. Maybe, Anyways, to an
1: extent, if it, if uh, you still have that account, it'll tell you who sold it to you. But that doesn't necessarily mean it would tell you it was at a same right? Because it could have been Let's on consignment. I else, actually but...
0: have the listing. Um, I bought it from some place called Lighthouse Sound in Salem, Ohio. So it wasn't the same exact people, but it might have been the same base. Who knows? Ooh, it. It's I just. I got to I gotta stop looking at bases. I just saw one that I want to buy right now. Um, <laughs> it's another warrior, of course. Anyway, so I saw it and I was like, I have to have this base. And so I was thinking about it. And then the price dropped. And I was like, I, this is a sign. I'm about to graduate. <laughs> the price just dropped. This is going to be a graduation present to myself. So I bought it. And I told you that I bought it. Um, but I didn't, I think you were the only person that I told. Uh, I tried to keep it a secret because I wanted to surprise Mr. Spencer with it at my senior recital. So Michaela knew about it and you knew about it. I don't think my parents even knew about it. So I remember it was so hard to keep that secret because I had it for about two weeks before the recital. And so what we did is we were walking with all of our gear to set up. And so I had somebody else carry that one uh, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to. But the problem is, is it was, it came with an alligator skin case. So it's not it like show I could just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like I could just hide it in any, and I didn't have another bag to put it in. So it's not like I could just hide it and have it... So what I did is I put it off to the side and I tuned it up when Mr. Spencer was in his office and I put it back in the case and had the case locked up. And so we played through the whole recital then we get to the last song, uh, which was Jekyll and Hyde. And so I stood up to the mic and I was talking about the uh, song while Matt went over and pulled the bass out of the case but then he walked over and he handed it to me and we started the song with it and the look on Mr. Spencer's face is what made that worth it to me he looked like now he knew I had something new Uh, I know that he did because he saw the case and he looked at it and he looked at me with this kind of confused look on his face but he didn't say anything so he (laughs) knew that I had something of a surprise for him but he didn't know what it was so, People
1: looked at me with the weirdest looks when I got up and went over to start opening up the case. People I know. Were, is he about to pull out a gun or something? Should we run?
0: Yeah. It <laughs> Everyone was, looked
1: really scared. It was. Funny. It was
0: amazing. So that bass to this day is still my favorite one, especially now that I finally have the setup right and the sound on it. Now that I have a high-end amp, it just it really opened up the sound because the amp that I had before I think was just pinching it off. It Mm -hmm. didn't sound full, but all my bases sounded the same through that amp. So now that I have something that actually shows the diversity of the bases, it just, it really shines. It has a lot of character to it. Yeah. Yeah. This one that I just saw in reverb is that black one that you had talked about, that warrior messenger, but it Mm -hmm. has just a solid black pit guard instead of the, uh, the carbon fiber look. Oh yeah. That's what it is. A carbon fiber.
1: So that thing is pretty
0: cool. It is. This is just black on black. It's mm. beautiful, but I don't know this one. The thing with the Warrior bases is some of them don't look like the workmanship is as nice as others. Like I, I've seen sense. a few that looked rushed. Like this one here, the fingerboard looks kind of rushed. Like it doesn't look quite as crisp. Mm. Um, but the Warrior Messenger won base of the year like three or four years ago. Wow. So, um. Yes, I, I don't know, but it's... Ooh, it's got the Glock and Clang preamp in there. Man, this will be <laughs> worth it. Oh, gosh. Weighs 7.1 pounds. Man. Gosh, why did I do this to myself?
1: One thing that I did want to say is um, kind of touching on um, plugging into an amp at a store. I would always say that um, if you're looking to buy, try to rather just bring your amp and plug into it or um find uh your amp at that store and plug into it or at least something that's uh close to uh what you use as much as it's fun for you to just be like oh i'll plug into that crazy multi-thousand dollar cabinet and uh see how it sounds through that that is going to enhance the tone sorry you you don't really want to uh color your opinion with really expensive stuff and then get home and plug it into your gear and then feel like, Oh man, now I need to go spend $3,000 to get the sound that I paid for. And remember that the acoustics in um, music stores are different than they're going to be elsewhere. You have to be really careful. That's why I always kind of judge guitars um, based on just sitting down and playing them, even without them being plugged before I even bother with plugging something like that. I, I don't, I don't really like go and buy guitars all the time or anything like that, but that would be my, my advice for those that, uh, (laughs) uh, I at least go and I like shop around so that I have good advice for people that are shopping or, um, see the new models that are on the shelves or whatever. Um, but, uh, you don't really want to trick yourself (laughs) into buying equipment that, uh, um, that you can't afford or just doesn't really work for you. Yeah. And without taking every detail into account, no matter what, even if you do bring your amp, it's going to sound different in the store than it did in your bedroom because of the acoustics. Right. Um, not well, that it's going to be like the, uh, the mirrors in a fashion store where it makes you look thinner <laughs> so the jeans look better on your butt. <laughs> uh, but no pun intended. Well,
0: I made that mistake so. once um, when I bought that Schechter bass. Cause I plugged it into a Mark bass amp at the store and I loved, I was like, man, this thing sounds amazing. I've never heard anything that sounds like this. I got it home. I plugged it into my fender rumble and I was like, what the heck? This is not the same thing. Um, and then I realized, Oh, it's because I was plugging it into a thousand dollar amp instead of my hundred dollar amp.
1: Mm. So yeah. Um, so. and another thing that you want to do when you sit down with a guitar in the store is, uh, cause I, forgot to say so earlier um i i have a shopping repertoire that i use and that is just a couple different songs a uh a chord melody a uh song that i think is difficult and then just a couple of songs that i've memorized that are not difficult to me at all but i'm just really used to playing so things like uh honeysuckle rose or uh boplicity um mm-hmm. uh Spain. Like that song Spain is my go to difficult quote unquote song. It's not difficult for me anymore, but it is difficult for your fingers and it's a dead giveaway for me that a guitar doesn't feel good if I make mistakes um when I'm playing Spain on it. of mm-hmm. course, like there's a bit of muscle memory there, but it does tell me that um it t- it communicates a whole lot of messages if I'm playing Spain up to tempo on an instrument and it's making me trip left and right because I can play Spain just fine on all of my guitars. Um, I can play Spain just fine on guitars that feel good to me. So if I play that on an instrument and it's just not feeling right, some of the intervals feel weird, then it's telling me a lot of what I need to know. Um, I like to mix up the styles. Uh, no, I don't sit down and play smoke on the water or, um, Hmm. or pour some sugar on me or one of those. But, um, Playing something uh, that's just a little bit of a bluesy improv, uh, more of a bop improv, uh, a Latin uh, bossa nova right. comping, just a couple of things in the repertoire for testing the lengths of an instrument in different fields and seeing what does this instrument feel good for or what does right. it feel wrong for? Because there's like, uh, I remember years ago we picked up a uh, the Epiphone Joe Pass model. In some some store, I don't remember Ooh, which one. That was um, Music. Yeah, yeah, I know there was one there, and um, I've seen the mouse too. That guitar feels incredible for just a simple. I almost swing bought comp. it. You did, you did. You're like, I think I might actually buy this and learn guitar. Um, it yeah, I wanted really, that really good, and it was set up really well, which is weird for a store. Um, but it that felt store
0: was pretty good per- about it though. That's
1: true. I feel like someone in there must set up the guitars because a lot of the time they did feel pretty doggone good. Um, and most stores, they don't care. Guitar Center definitely doesn't care. They're set up like crap, but yeah, um, they
0: should set them up first because then people would buy them because they'd feel better.
1: Yeah, it would just help in general. But I think they I think the reason they don't do that is they just leave them crap so that you have to pay them to set them up. <laughs> um. But I don't think Lynchburg music cared that much about that. Anyway, so the Joe Pass instrumentally for most things, I mean, it's an arch top, so it really has its its genre that it wants to be in, which is jazz. But um, it wouldn't work for everything. That's what I wanted to play, but it felt perfect for like a a big band comping with Freddie Green, uh, chunk chunk chunking a chord melody and bossa nova comping things like that. Basically, if Joe Pass played it, you'd be able to play it with that guitar and it would feel good. It really was a Joe Pass model. Um, yeah, it was awesome. But it, it was like that's the realm in which it lies whereas uh a Music Man guitar which I actually don't know if I've ever picked one up, but I think they that that is cool. They do look cool, but I think they're usually on the um the top shelf stuff where you have to ask and i'm too introverted to ever ask a a salesman to then stand over me and bug me uh, for a while so i usually just avoid them but anyway um i feel like they are probably more prone to shredding and um mostly because shredders seem to use them so i assume that's what they feel good for um ibanez's uh the rg series that are a little more up in price they feel really good for uh shredding stuff and um but i would never want to use an ivan rg for pumping bossa nova or something that would feel really weird um i'll still try right. all that on it i'll play spain on it um and that's all to communicate to me everything that i'm comfortable with playing at a uh, higher level of difficulty and things like that And it tells me a lot of what what does it really feel like? Because there's some instruments out there that look so cool that feel like crap to me um, Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't really want to play ever. I mean, there are there are Greshes that I think look so nice, but they feel weird. I don't know why. I I do love a lot of Greshes, but there are a bunch that I pick up that I'm just like, oh, wow, I I couldn't play this. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the twang that they give. I would try to get around that that that's just because I hate country (laughs) um but there's like uh Chet Atkins models that feel really good and then there's some semi hollows that I've picked up that are like nah it looks beautiful but I don't want it um the Angelico's Mm -hmm. I've had a problem with they look really regal um some of them feel fine and others have felt like crap some Epiphones feel incredible um like that Joe Pass one, that that's a uh, that that but that's exceptional of how that one felt. But there's uh some dots I've picked up that feel pretty cool. Um the casino feels really nice. Um I can see why that's like the Beatles guitar. It does feel pretty doggone good. Um it doesn't sound fantastic, but the price that you get it for, it's pretty good. Um Right. I, I think like you, you wanna Even after you decide from that very first step, do I want an acoustic or an electric? Um, I don't think that it's smart to buy until you've tried everything. Just keep trying. Keep doing research. Don't um, impulse buy. Just keep trying. And even when you find that model that you think that, hey, I think I really got this. If you have multiple options on that model, try the alternatives that are right next to it. Just. Keep right digging until you really find that one and um and never compromise for just appearance sake that's uh not a wise decision to make um if you want it you might just literally need to wait until you find something that that looks more appropriate if it's like this one looks cool but this one feels a lot better well then you didn't find your answer yet um, you want right. that one that kind of takes all these things that we've talked about and combines them to be exactly what you want. Um, and you want the sound to be good. You want to make sure that it's not something that, I mean, if you want an instrument that needs work, um, that you need to do a little electronics work or setting it up yourself, fine, whatever. I, I can understand that. That's that's fun to have a bit of a, a handiness itch, that you want something that um, is a job for you first but um in general you don't want to pick up something that could be more of a chore than it's worth that's like that's like buying a car from a junkyard expecting that it'll last you the rest of your life um right that's so true you you need to know what you're getting into before you buy so when it's a used instrument and it seems like there's something wrong with it make sure you know what's wrong with it if the if like one of the pickups is dead and you think oh that's okay why is that okay?
0: It's like, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> that's why it's on the shelf, buddy. Um, right.
1: Not that I've ever met anyone like that. But I think uh, another key thing we need to say is kind of what Tommy said earlier. Just because you put the perfect instrument in your hands doesn't make you a good player. Um, just because right. I have this prototype, one-of-a-kind Russian custom from a luthier that I, I wouldn't sell if someone offered me ten grand. That doesn't make me a good player. It's putting in the hard work and the practice and learning how to handle my instrument and the techniques that I can use it for and and crafting my sound and working on the nuances to my playing and just befriending that instrument. That's what makes you a good player. And uh, like Tommy said, cheap instruments can get some awesome sounds out of it. My court is dirt cheap. Sounds awesome. My Warwick sound. It sounds awesome dirt cheap uh my uh the other custom that i have that's my fender sub that was really cheap sounds incredible i never need a fender thank goodness (laughs) (laughs) um and i think a lot of that does have to do with my playing my play style and the work that i've put in it lets me not need some crazy five thousand dollar instrument to make it sound good or something and I don't think that's for anybody. I've seen dudes with incredible instruments that sound like crap. <laughs> uh, and most yeah. of the time I tend to think uh, like even someone that isn't necessarily that good, if they have the right attitude, I love hearing them play music. Um, a lot of the time you'll hear someone has a really expensive instrument and they've got a really crappy attitude and they try to play and it sounds terrible. Um And even if it's technically right or something like that, it doesn't come off right because they don't have the soul for it. A lot of the time when I'm listening, I'm listening for soul. So if you have a guitar that you love and you pour into that guitar your time and your work and your practice, you learn every little teeny bit of it. Like where in that spot, if you bend the wrong way, is it going to pop off the neck or something like that? Because Or uh where is that buzz and how do you avoid it if you know all the little roots on your instrument and it's your bestest buddy in the whole world then some wonderful stuff is going to come out of it and you're going to love it i i, I remember loving my epiphone lp 100 unfortunately that instrument is so cheap i had to put it i had to kick it to the curb I, even I don't really make it sound that good these days. It's just it's too limited. But that that was my baby guitar. That was the couple hundred bucks that my dad got me as my very first guitar back in the day. I pulled it out before uh I think a few months ago. And I'm like, uh oh. Nope, not even I can make it work. <laughs> uh mm. I I remember showing up to Spencer's office with, with that thing and uh he didn't judge me for it or anything, as you should never judge anyone for the instrument in their hands. Um but I wouldn't have gotten it anywhere if I'd just played that. <laughs> right, no matter how good true. I got. Yeah, you have to give something that's um, worth your uh, your level of commitment. You have to respect yourself a little bit.
0: Well, the way Norms Doctrine puts it is that gear gives him that extra ten percent. So all the work yeah. you put in gets you ninety percent of the way there. Then that extra ten percent, the little the the sound, the tone, a couple of the little intangible things, get you that. Final 10%. Because um, mm-hmm. there are things that I can play on my bases that I can't play on other bases, just because string spacing is slightly different or I'm not used to it. So I could adjust, but I still would have to adjust because I'm not used to them. So that extra 10% is really what it is all about. So um, guys, thanks for tuning in and listening. I hope you had as much fun talking about gas as we did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> So, again, guys, thanks for all the, all tuning in every week and listening. We really appreciate it. Um, like, comment, subscribe, share it with your friends. I'm sorry I didn't post a YouTube video last week. I promise I will this week.
1: We're <laughs> working on that. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, we're, we're getting there. And my day job it was really busy last week. So, this week won't be as bad. So, anyways, thanks, guys, for tuning in and listening. We'll uh, see you next week. Thank you. You're awesome. Squee. <laughs>